From the campus of Stanford University and on location, this is the Entrepreneur's Radio Show and Podcast featuring in-depth one-on-one interviews with purpose-driven entrepreneurs and high-performance game changers committed to extraordinary ideas, preeminence, and multi-generational success. Our radio show and podcast illuminates the struggles, breakthroughs, and exceptional outcomes these game changers bring to industries, organizations, and lives. Hosted by Tom Dioro, principal of Podfather Media. Please welcome today's guests, two of the three partners of Brand Positioning Doctors and the co-hosts of Brands, Beats, and Bites podcast, Daryl D.C. Cobbin and Larry Taman. Both DC and Larry earned MBAs in marketing and went on to successful careers in brand management with Fortune 50 companies marketing large CPG brands such as Sprite and Powerade. As entrepreneurs, along with their partner, Jeff Shirley, they've been able to leverage what they've learned with those large companies to successfully manage a consulting business and a podcast business. Their consulting business, Brand Positioning Doctors has helped companies large and small, tech and non-tech, strengthen emotional connections with their customers to ultimately generate incremental revenue. Their podcast, Brands, Beats, and Bites, lives at the intersection of brand, tech, and culture, where they engage in conversations with CEOs, CMOs, and other C-suite leaders with companies large and small that deliver insightful points of view on what's popping and what's not popping in marketing, tech, culture, and beyond. For more information, feel free to visit brandpositioningdoctors.com. Again, that's brandpositioningdoctors.com. Gentlemen, Daryl, Larry, Jeff, I'm really happy to happy to see you guys on our uh, video and so happy to talk with you too. Always love being with you, my friend. Oh, this will be great. <laughs> <laughs> for 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 your audience today, we'll have to uh, share that um, Daryl or DC came up with the uh, the nickname the Podfather, and it just took. Wouldn't even refers my name anymore, it's Tom. They just say, "Oh, it's the Podfather." It's so the Podfather. let's 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 <laughs> give proper proper <laughs> homage to you. From from Jalen Rose, I got to shout Jalen Rose. That's He's right. the first one to use it, so I, I stole it from Jalen Rose, and I've given it to you. He used to call uh, Bill Simmons that. That's oh, right. thank you. Well, thank you very much. Gentlemen, you know, I'd like to start off with something, uh, usually something funny, but we'll start off with something a little different, is I want to know, you know, what is your favorite quote? If you can think of a quote that just comes to your mind, even if it's not verbatim what it is, but you at least get the, um, get the essence of it, and, and then why is it important to you and how it kind of sets a, sets a tone for you in your life? We'll start Dave, with you, Daryl. Dave, you want to take it first? Why don't you go first, LT? That's a heck of a question. Okay. Yeah, I know. I know. That's a heck of a question. I, and I, I got an easy answer. Okay. It's the great John Wooden, UCLA basketball. And it's what you learned after you know it all that counts. Love that. It's what you learn after you know it all that counts. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. And the reason why I love that quote is I think we all on the path of life at some point, real think we know a lot and then realize like, wow, I don't know S, right? Like I, I, I yes. thought I knew everything and I don't know anything. And I think most people realize that sometime in their 20s, at least for me. And from that point on, you realize that you just have so much to learn and that you really don't know all that you thought you knew. 
And mm. it, the whole prism of life and the whole vantage point of life, at least for me, changed. Wow. I wow. love that quote, Larry. Yeah. Yeah, well, this is definitely setting a tone. <laughs> Daryl, and on your notes. On my notes. Yes. There's a quote that I heard from Rick Warren of a Saddleback Church in Orange County, California. And this quote is not uh, spiritually based, but it's one that stuck with me. And it's this, aging is mandatory. Maturation is optional. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's optional. <laughs> yeah, Rick, Rick Warren, yes. That's a great and, one, dude. Wow. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks, LT and, uh, yeah. and, and, and Tom. What, what that did for me when I heard the quote and what it continues to do for me now is as I think about my life day to day, week to week, month to month, I ask myself, am I maturing or am I just aging? Hmm. And, and when I'm maturing, I'm growing, I'm listening, I'm learning. When I'm aging, I don't have an answer to the question. And then that's what lets Ooh. me know, okay, you were just aging, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do you get that candid with yourself? Because that's that's not something, uh, I'll speak personally, that's not something I'm always willing to do for, uh, based on, you know, whether it's my own insecurities, my own shortcomings, and um, I'm not always willing to face that. How, how are you able to, to be able to do that? Tom, uh, I wish I could tell you that somehow I'm this evolved being <laughs> that has arrived at this place where I can um, examine my own actions, but I find the times where I make the biggest leaps are moments where I'm either in pain or when I failed. Hmm. And when I'm in pain and or when I have failed, I get quiet, still. This allows me to be introspective and examine my own role in the creation of that failure and or pain. And then I, I take that Tom and, uh, and LT and, uh, and try to hold on to the learnings and perspective as long as possible, even when I'm out of the pain so that I can continue to mature. Hmm. But typically it's a, it's a broom handle in my little bike that I'm riding right through the front wheel and I'm over the handlebars. <laughs> great visual. Yes, yes. That's typically when. Great, great visual. Now that there's a stillness that you, you, you actually said get still, mm -hmm. that it sounds like what you all do for yourselves, you're almost sacrificing yourself for the betterment of your clients so that you're learning those lessons. Is there some truth or a segue into that? What do you think, LT? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we, we always talk about how, you know, we always are in business to do what's best for our clients, best for the world, best for our clients, and everything else takes care of itself after that, Tom. So that's our approach to things. And so far, I think it works pretty well. Right, D? I would, I'd say so, uh, Larry. Thank Fortunately, I'm... I'm knocking on wood right uh, right here. But uh, Tom, you've heard Larry say this and you mentioned it in the upfront bit. 
describing our company. And Larry talks about this often, and that is we help our clients' brands make emotional connections. It's 95% of decisions that are made are made because of an emotional reason, not because of a practical, functional reason. We, we try to convince ourselves that it's a rational thing, but we, we, use, uh, we use our emotions and then we use logic to rationalize the emotional decision. So coming back to uh, Larry's quote in mind, we approach our clients from a human perspective first, Tom. And this allows us to unlock some of the psychology elements of how human beings connect with brands. So that's how we attempt to translate or connect some of the wisdom behind the quote that Larry used and hopefully some wisdom behind the quote that I use into our day-to-day work. Now, as you guys know, I love branding for whatever limited knowledge I have of it. How do you get people to get to that place where you can connect with them as people collectively and then have them see their company or their brand in a, like, like, is it like, it's a life force of its own, even Mm. though it's just a name, but how do you, how, I don't know if you have a process, a system, lay it on me. I'd love to hear it. LT, you want, you want to take that one, bro? Uh, I'll start the, and and please chime in. I, I think somewhat, this is, this might sound like a crass example, but, I think sometimes, Dee was talking about pain before, I think most folks have to get to the point where they have some business pain, where they realize that there's an issue, uh, that you know they're not in a situation where everything is great. And so it's sort of like the alcoholic who realizes they have a problem, you know, that, that the addict has a problem. And that's where they're most willing to then listen and grow. So it, it really emanates from there. Dave, do you want to add to that? I agree with that, uh, Larry. And, and Tom, our, the name of our company, Brand Positioning Doctors, is intentional. Uh, unfortunately, uh, most of this country, and dare I say, uh, the world over, they don't go to the doctor for preventative measures. They go when they got a problem. And so we consider ourselves to be doctors of the brand variety in order to handle these problems. And more specifically, if you ask the type of doctors that we would like to be, continue this analogy, we'd be the cardiologist, the heart okay. doctor, because we think the brand sits at the heart of a business. So this is what we attempt to do. So that's one uh, one way we we use the uh, the ability to bridge from just the straight business practicality thing, pragmatic into the uh, into uh, the human being uh, side of who we're working with. But then there's another element I want to add, and then uh, LT, you may uh, add to this. I'm going to give something that I believe is a truism in life, and then how that applies to the methods that we use in our business. Most things in life come down to math, numbers, or some formula. Tom, the day you were born is a set of numbers. You were given a, secu- a social security card as a, as a child, set of numbers. You lived at a house that had an address. You had a phone number, a set of numbers. You then, you then grow, you become an adult. You get a bank account, a set of numbers. You build credit, it has a score, a set of numbers. 
all of these numbers then are put together where there's a formula that then determines how are you going to live? How is Tom going to live? What is Tom going to be able to buy? What is Tom going to, Tom going to be able to finance? All around numbers and formulas. We have formulas and methods that we use in our business. So one of them is a value equation with brands. Value, Tom, is what everyone wants, whether they're buying a car, a house, or a pair of jeans. They want value. And then you have to go top and bottom, numerator, denominator. At the bottom is what you give up. You got to give up some money to get these things or sometimes time. On the top is what you get. And we help our clients build the brand promise. So if the promise is is um, more valuable than what you're giving up, then that formula and value equation works. If the promise is not greater than what you're giving up, then the value equation doesn't work. And our business is about helping our clients determine what is that brand promise and can it be articulated and executed in such a way that it has the right amount of value to be over what they are asking their clients or customers to give up. Excellent. This is excellent. You're listening to the Entrepreneur's Radio Show and podcast on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. We're talking today with Daryl Cobbin, DC, and Larry Taman of Brand Positioning Doctors and podcast producers and hosts of Brands, Beats, and Bites, who lives at the intersection of brand, tech, and culture. For more information, feel free to visit brandpositioningdoctors.com. Again, brandpositioningdoctors.com. That brand promise, Larry, This, what's it like when you see clients get that, I'll just, for lack of a better word, aha moment like yeah. ah i have i understand this at a gut level not just a this makes sense but like aha you see people shifting and moving and looking at each other like 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 almost like children because they're so excited yeah no it's a great feeling tom and quite honestly we've been blessed in so many ways and the backdrop to brand positioning doctors is that um we dc and i at the coca-cola company learned a specific way of brand positioning that it, that quite quite honestly is proprietary to us and our man Jimbo and I'm let, I'm going to let DC tell a little bit more about Jimbo in a minute because I think we need to give the shout outs to him is it, it was for DC and I we we were there together when we learned it it was a huge epiphany for us and it was interesting because not all our colleagues felt the same way which was a bit flabbergasting to DC and I, because it was like before learning this and after this was a big deal. So I, I had to give that context to, to then answer your question. We've had like chairmen of the board, and I know D, you know who I'm gonna who I'm alluding to. We had a chairman of the board of a tech company who, before we went into the workshop, the brand workshop that we did for his company, really didn't want to be there. Okay. <laughs> Right, he, he, yeah. and that's but he, but again, what I was alluding to before, they were experiencing pain. They were in a situation where they were um, another tech widget, just like everyone else. And so they they knew that they had a marketing issue, they had a brand issue, and that they needed to solve it. So he was a bit cynical, to say the least. After the first 
uh, break, he stayed, he stayed and talked to DC and I, and he was a complete and utter convert. It was almost like you could see the paradigm shift for him. And so much so that, you know, one of the things that he did, and, uh, and this was a couple of years ago when Forever 21 was really humming. Again, the world has changed greatly. Forever 21, the women's retailer. And we, we use them as an example of, uh, of, of positioning themselves quite adroitly. He had, again, chairman of the board of this company, he had 15 people outside Forever 21 looking at who was coming in and out of Forever 21 because he wanted it, he he thought that that was such a, a an excellent positioning and wanted them to learn from that. That's how much of a convert he became. Rebranding after the pandemic. I don't think there's one company, one organization on the planet that is not affected significantly. Mm-hmm. How, in your views or experience, even if you have, I don't know if any of us have points of reference, is that in terms of opening their minds to say, you know what, things have changed. Are folks' minds possibly opening up to this notion of brand uh, purpose? This question gets to the heart of the matter, in my view, Tom, and here's the reason why. Pre-COVID, you could, as a company, have a variety of different marketing and branding strategies. You could also talk mostly about the features of your product, and you could be fine in many categories. Well, now people are interested not in just the the features and functional benefits. They want to know, like, what do you stand for? Mm -hmm. There's a lot going on here. What do you stand for? Uh, We are currently now dealing with with two things, Uh, and this happens to be a typically do not do this uh, Larry and Jeff are going to cringe, uh, uh, Podfather, that I'm going to do this. We don't list dates on podcasts because we don't. We want it to be evergreen. But in this case, I want to mention a date. It's June 9th, 2020. And we are dealing with COVID-19 and massive protests around the world given the death of Mr. George Floyd. These two things, Tom, in combination... I believe are making it such that brands are going to have to elevate in the nomenclature that Larry and Jeff and I use ladder up in their marketing messages and be very clear about their brand purposes, because you cannot talk about connecting with people at a higher level. We believe unless you are clear on your brand purpose. So that's what I believe will be different moving forward. Yeah, and if I could chime in on add to that, yeah. totally agree with what Dee said, Tom. And you know, when you have a great brand positioning, when you know you really have something, you're able to be adroit in when big things like this happen. You you're able to pivot. If you don't, then you have to blow it up and and reposition. Uh, I just saw. An ad the other day that I thought was really cool. I'm going to shout out. We have nothing to do with the company. Brawny Paper Towels. Um, mm. Given this situation, they have a program called the Giants Program. And again, fits brawny, big. Everything's about that brand is big. Yeah. And the Giants Program are shouting out people who are helping others throughout the pandemic. Like they shouted out this girl, this this like seven-year-old girl who was 
with helping buying homeless people dinner. And so she was in the giant, the, the Brawny Giants program. That's a wonderful brand positioning that Brawny has. And, and they're just, they're just taking what's, what's happening now and elevating that part of their, their brand positioning. And it's funny, we, you, you started off with quotes. My other favorite quote of John Wooden's is things work out for the best for those who make the best of the way things work out. And that's what Brawny's doing because they have such a good brand position, a wonderful brand position. Great point, OT. Yeah, excellent. How about the, the speed in this? Now, we've had, obviously, two major shifts that you shared with Daryl. They ha- uh, No one could have predicted them at the time that uh, they've occurred, and they're back-to-back. And I, and I yep. think there's going to even be more changes that we don't know about. For sure, now we can expect that level of change. And I, I shared with you or asked you, um, Daryl, on our show we've done uh, with the innovators about that you had a high care factor. Yes. And you're talking about brands now and companies and organizations. Uh, they just can't give that lip service. No. But I see a lot of lip service within the last week or two. How can sure. they get to the heart of what they're really saying and have themselves be about it and not just be shouting? Mm. Ooh, okay, Tom, I didn't realize we were going to be getting existential in this podcast. Okay? <laughs> I didn't realize that, uh, but I'm glad we are. Step one, Larry's already covered this, is get your brand positioning straight. Get, get that straight. Because you can't say anything and then do anything right. that is on strategy without that. Right. You'd, be, you'd be diffuse scatterbrain, if you will. So Larry's right. Get that brand positioning straight. That can be in combination with the company vision, which is where you want to go, and the mission, which is how you want to get there, and your brand values. All of those are great documents and great frameworks, but you've got to have this brand positioning piece. Then, Tom, after the brand positioning is done and it's at, it's laddered up at a higher order. Then Tom, we would say any idea regarding marketing activation and or what the company does, you filter it through this positioning and you ask yourself, because there are only three things are going to happen. Either one, it'll elevate the brand. Two, it'll keep it where it is. Or three, it'll detract from the brand. And you ask yourself, is this elevating our brand? That's how we believe you get to actions that are meaningful. And I believe whether that was a conscious process by Georgia Pacific that owns the uh, the Bronny brand or subconscious, that's how they got to that execution. Mm-hmm. This is the Entrepreneur's Radio Show and podcast on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. We're going to give... Uh, Acknowledgement and recognition and reverence to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. The Make-A-Wish Foundation is tens of thousands of volunteers, donors, and supporters designed to advance the vision of every child diagnosed with a critical illness. In the U.S. and its territories, a wish is granted every 34 minutes. A wish can be that spark that helps these children believe that anything is possible and gives them the strength to fight harder against their illnesses. 
this one belief guides us and inspires the Make-A-Wish Foundation to change the lives of the kids they serve. For more information, go to wish.org. Again, wish.org. We're talking today with Daryl Common, D.C., and Larry Taman, a brand positioning doctors and podcast producers and hosts of Brands, Beats, and Bites, living at the intersection of brand, tech, and culture. For more information, you can visit their website at brandpositioningdoctors.com. Again, that's brandpositioningdoctors.com. Daryl, we left off the, the points about uh, how brands are going to need to re-identify themselves or rebrand themselves. I don't know if you've ever quantified a, a percentage of brands out there that aren't rebranding or haven't taken a look at their brand and who they are, or maybe they're not interested in finding out who they are because post-pandemic, uh, post-social change, they didn't have to. But now... My belief is, it's my opinion, that everybody needs to now have, if you have got five gears, you need to activate all five gears. You no longer can make a living yep. and just go second or third and think you can cruise for 50 years and everything's going to stay the same. Now you have to activate all those brands or brands, those gears. And to do that, leadership has to acknowledge realities. We talked a bit about realities, what it is. Realities are kind of the stories that we tell ourselves of who we think we are or what we think our world is. How do you see that shift happening in the next, say, year? Let's do even within before 2021. Hmm. I'm going to use an analog, Tom and, and Larry. Tom, I know you love music, as do I. Love great music. Yeah. I'm going to use Absolutely. a uh, an, an an orchestral example of music. Imagine that there's this orchestra symphony, and it is a you know 100 piece orchestra, and you have all of these different instruments. And one of the sections is the oboe section, and let's say they play a piece, and it's stupendous. And that piece was played before COVID and before uh, the social unrest that has been sparked by the passing of uh, George Floyd, Mr. George Floyd. And many others, I want to add. And, and many others, and many, thank you, thank you, Larry, and many others, male and female. Now let's say that you, you get the orchestra together and because of these things that have occurred, the conductor says, we're playing in a different key, but the oboe players are outside, they're not in yet. So they roll in and okay, we know we're playing the same piece, but they don't recognize that it's a different key. So it starts off and all of a sudden the oboe just like, hey, they're messing the whole piece up because they're out of key. They didn't recognize that the rest of the orchestra changed to a different key. Let me bring it back to our branding work. Some of these brands and companies, Tom, are going to be that oboe that's out of key. And it's going to take people in the orchestra to say, you're out of key. You need to get back in key. And it's also going to take people in the company to go, hey, we're way off key here. We got to get back. So I believe it's going to be a self-correcting thing that will occur because not everybody's going to be on key yep. as we start this thing back up. That's my answer. 
If uh, that's a great answer, Tom, and if I could add just one thing to what DC said, there's a lot of folks out there to carry forth his analogy that on one end of the spectrum, no, wow, like the, you know, the conductor says, everything's changed. We got to flip the script and, and we need to really reposition ourselves and, and, and really, uh, put forth a, a situation where we're, we're acknowledging what's transpired and, and we've got a reposition. And then there's going to be folks that are tone deaf on the other end yeah. that don't know that there's anything wrong. And, you know, we, we have, we've learned like we can't quite honestly, if you're tone deaf and you don't see the problem, we say it's, it's nice meeting you because there's not much we can do for them. Yeah. You know, yeah. but if you if you acknowledge, as I said before, that there's an issue, that's where we can really come in and help in a huge way. Can you see companies that are doing things where they're very tone deaf and you have an idea in your mind or at least in your mind's eye of what they can do and then approach them? Hmm. I mean, it's very it's very bold, I would think, to do that, to say, you know, I think you're doing wrong. It's it's almost like, a, you know, I've got three kids saying, you know, I know what you're trying to do here and I, I just think it's off. They didn't ask me, hey, you think I'm doing the right thing? And I don't think corporations, especially leadership in corporations or organizations or probably anywhere, are going to say, you know what? You think I'm doing a good job? What do you think I could do better? And I want to know what I can do. I don't know if that happens. Well, I think as I alluded to, Tom, I think unless there's an acknowledgement from somebody that Again, I, I you know, I, unless the addict knows that there that there's an acknowledgement that they have a problem, it's really not. It's it, we've. I, D, you correct me if I'm wrong here. We've never been in a situation where we've told somebody, "Hey, your business is whack. You know, something's really wrong." And they say, "You know, you're right. Let let us come in." There's got to be an internal acknowledgement on the other side, and then we can have a meaningful conversation. We've never been able to convince somebody because we're not in. It's like telling somebody, like I said, who's an addict, that they have a problem, and usually that never works. They have to realize realize it themselves. One hundred percent agree. Uh, I'm just going to add something really quick here. Uh, I like analogies, you know that, Tom. Uh, the fellas, Larry and Jeff, definitely do. But Prince, may he rest in uh, rest in peace and rest in power, does not call. Roger Goodell at the NFL to lobby <laughs> to perform at the Super Bowl. Prince, yeah. Prince is Prince. And if they want to do something at the Super Bowl that entertains hundreds of millions of people, they know there's a small select group of artists that can pull that off. We don't call folks and say, hey, let's knock on your door and tell you, you know, how bad you are and you need a performance <laughs> by Prince. Yeah. We don't do that. Yeah. yeah. I like the Prince analogy to what you guys do because it's in a it's in a class of its of its own. What else would you guys uh, like to add that we didn't touch on in this, your show today? Well, I'll add something not just to carry forth that metaphor. And if we're talking about the NFL and Roger Goodell just came out and and did a, a wonderful speech talking about how they now support protests. Well, that's because he was in a situation where he had no choice because yeah. his players were now in a, situa in a situation where they were speaking up. And in this climate, they did a wonderful job. That video that the players did, you know, some of the top 10 players in, in the NFL, the next day, Goodell, yes. you know, 
Goodell sort of acquiesced to them. Where I was going with this is we're all about authenticity and being genuine. And what I find I, I have, quote unquote, issue for whatever that's worth is I'm glad that the NFL did that. But without even mentioning Colin Kaepernick's name, uh, yeah. you know, and they've already admitted they've already settled out of court that they basically blackballed him. You know, without mentioning his name, it's just not very authentic to me. And so that'll be interesting to see what happens down the line. And if guy, and if there is a season and guys are kneeling, and if some of the more conservative owners don't have umbrage with that, that's something that's uh, that's going to be really interesting to track. So the, the answer to your question, though, Tom, is we're all about being genuine and authentic in everything that we do. We're we are not from the school. I think from the '60s, people thought that that there were TV ads were done where there were these images in the background where they were trying to sell people on stuff. We're the opposite. Everything we do is about being genuine and authentic to the brand and the products that the brand has, and building up from there. And when you don't see authenticity, when you don't see genuineness, people smell that a mile away. Like that, LT. My ad will be this. Larry mentioned uh, Jim Emery, Jimbo. Yeah, J- Jimbo is the uh, the originator of this uh, proprietary process that we use. But there's a difference in our process, Tom, and others that do brand positioning and brand strategy work. Most do theirs from the perspective of the brand looking out at the consumer or customer. We do ours in reverse. We come from it from the perspective of the customer uh, or consumer into the brain. What do we want them to perceive? So there's a flip in the power. And the same is true of Larry's example in the NFL. We thought of the NFL as this multi-billion dollar company. It had the power and the players flipped the power. They flipped the power structure to make the NFL make a move that they had not made for four years. What's my point here? You asked earlier about what are brands going to do in terms of action. You've heard the quote, uh, the people have the power. That's only partially true to me. The people have the power when they leverage that power. And I believe we're now at a moment where consumers can leverage their power and make the brands do what they want them to do. Just like the players made the NFL do what they wanted the NFL to do. And by the way, the people and the players want no more than the NFL and the rest of brands to do the right thing. Yep, That's it. Gentlemen, it's been an honor, a pleasure, and uh, all the other good things too. I'm so happy to see you all. Until next time, which will be soon if you guys are open to it. Love to have you guys on. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely, Tom. Thank you, brother. Thank Thanks, you. Tom. You've been listening to the Entrepreneur's Radio Show and Podcast. Our guests today have been two of the three partners of Brand Positioning Doctors and the co-hosts of Brands, Beats, and Bites Podcast, Daryl D.C. Cobbin and Larry Taman. Both D.C. and Larry earned MBAs in marketing and went on to successful careers in brand management with Fortune 50 companies, marketing large CPG brands such as Sprite and Powerade. As entrepreneurs, along with their other partner, Jeff Shirley, they've been able to leverage what they've learned with those 
companies to successfully manage a consulting business and a podcast business. Their consulting business, Brand Positioning Doctors, has helped companies large, small, tech, and non-tech strengthen emotional connections with their customers to ultimately generate incremental revenue. Their podcast brands, beats, and bites lives at the intersection of brand tech and culture where they're engaged in conversations with CEOs, CMOs, and other C-suite leaders with companies large and small that deliver insightful points of view on what's popping and what's not popping in marketing, tech, culture, and beyond. For more information, you can visit brandpositioningdoctors.com. Join us again next time when we welcome another purpose-driven entrepreneur or high-performing game-changer committed to ideas, positive outcomes, and a better world. I'm Tom Dioro. The Entrepreneur's radio show and podcast is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Palo Alto, California, and on location. The Chief Audio Engineer is Eris Chikopoulos. Chief Engineer is Mark Lawrence, and we are all assisted by Peter Caroline and Omar L. Sabrao. And the executive producer and host of The Entrepreneur's Show is Tom Dior. If you wish to contact us, our email is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. 